Welcome to Letters to Women, a podcast that explores the feminine genius. Today's episode is a letter to the woman experiencing infertility, which is a subject near to my own heart and an experience in my own marriage. When asked about infertility in marriage, St. Jose Maria Scriva said, quote, God in his providence has two ways of blessing marriages. One, by giving them children. And other, sometimes because he loves them so much by not giving them children. I don't know which is the better blessing. And that's a powerful quote that packs a punch. It's a quote that you can take to meditation and think on for quite a while. And it's a quote that I cannot wait to unpack with you in today's episode. This week's podcast is sponsored by Ava. Wear the Ava bracelet at night for insight about your fertility and your health. Check out this new clinically proven way to track your cycles. You can find more at avawomen.com and find links to this podcast sponsor in the show notes at oldfashionedgirlblog.com. Welcoming to the show today, Connie Polis, who is a beautiful woman who I have encountered through like absolute divine providence and so beautiful to be able to encounter her. Um, So welcome to the show, Connie. Thanks, Chloe. I'm so excited for tonight's conversation. I had listened to, today's letter is a letter to the woman experiencing infertility. And not too long ago, I listened to the USCCB's podcast on infertility. And there was a beautiful quote from St. Jose Maria Escriva. And I went to look it up and I stumbled across your blog and then spent the evening just reading about your story and your life. And it's so beautiful. And was able to connect with you via Instagram, and, and now here we are having a having a chat about life and, and our lives as Catholic women, and it's so beautiful. So I'm, I'm incredibly excited for tonight's podcast episode. Oh my gosh, me too. I'm just so happy to meet you and really excited for this. Great. So we'll start the way we usually start is just asking you to, to tell us a little bit about yourself for women who haven't encountered your blog or heard your, the USCCB podcast. Can you tell us just a little bit about yourself and your story as a Catholic woman? Sure. Um, well, my name's Connie. I was born into a Catholic family, mm-hmm. um, so cradle Catholic, and went to Catholic school. My family growing up, though, I mean, we were definitely Catholic, went to church on Sunday, but I think I learned most of my devotions and, you know, rosary and confession things from Catholic school, mm-hmm. not so much at home. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I was a teenager, I started feeling like I really wanted to give my whole life to God and, you know, become a religious sister of some sort, Mm. Um, went on vocation retreats and everything. And then, and I had a spiritual director too. And then when I was 16, um, I had a pretty big bomb dropped on me, (laughs) which kind of altered the whole trajectory of my life and my faith and Mm. everything. Um, I was... I think by the time I was 15, I still hadn't gotten my first period, and my mom was worried that, you know, something was wrong. Maybe it was deadly. You know, who knows? Mom started worrying. So went to a couple of different doctors and um, found out through a long process that I was born with a rare condition called MRKH. Um, That's the initials of the scientist that discovered it, Mm. Um, and I probably butchered the pronunciation. Yes. and what this basically means is that I was born without a uterus. Mm. Um, so no one had ever known up until that time because, you know, throughout my whole early childhood and everything, everything seemed normal. Right. Um, really, the only way anyone finds out they have this is, you know, they get to the right age and they still haven't had their first period. Right, right. Right, yeah. Um, so when that happened, um, that kind of changed a lot. I think initially my first reaction was, oh, well, this doesn't really matter at all because I'm going to be a nun. Oh. Um, <laughs> and 
that was that's called the first stage of grief denial. Right. Um, right. But, yes. but anyways, it, yeah, it it totally changed the way I looked at things. I think I started questioning everything, yeah. um, and my existence and my purpose for being here and who am I and all these things. And right. and it got to the point where I I wound up in kind of a pretty dark place. Um, and through my later college years, or in the middle of college, really, I, I was still going to church on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was really kind of in this kind of dark, selfish little hole mm. um, of wanting to do things my way and everything like that. And then um, I think I, you know, I started to come out of it um, somewhat through the relationship with my husband mm-hmm. and who I met. I met him towards the end of college. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was through that when I kind of started becoming myself again. Mm. Um, and it wasn't until maybe my, let's see, I got married when I was 25. I think I was maybe 27 or so when I think Jesus really came back into my life in a really big way. <laughs> I think, um, and it actually, it started with a tweet. Uh, somebody I'm friends with had tweeted something about, um, praying the rosary when they can't sleep. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah, so I saw that and I was like, oh, I have an insomnia problem. Why don't I yeah. try that? So what started out as using the rosary as a sleep aid mm-hmm. turned into quickly turned into praying the rosary daily when I was awake, oh, wow. reading scripture more, um, really trying and paying more attention to what God's trying to do in my life. Mm-hmm. And and that's when a lot of the real healing happened mm-hmm. um, emotionally with a lot of this infertility stuff. And, and now I work for the church professionally and I volunteer at my parish, and I work in um, communications for both, both professionally and volunteering for my parish, and sing in the choir, and go to Mass during the week, so it, it, my whole life revolves around now, wow. in a way that, yeah, in a way that it definitely didn't right, right <laughs> in before. the middle of all of that before. Right, wow, how be- and how like neat to do, like, it all started with a tweet, like, that's just so beautiful, like, the way the Lord, yeah. like, he can use social media, dang it, like, for really good reasons. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it all started with a tweet. <laughs> that's awesome, what a beautiful story, I love it, it's so, so good. So, so, like, processing that, that learning that you were born with that uterus at, at the age of 15 and 16, like, that must have been just, like, a ton to go through, especially at such a young age, like, I remember being 15 or 16, and, and not really in a good emotional state to process anything nonetheless like Mm -hmm. infertility like that's something that usually like stereotypically you think of like people processing like when they're thinking about having kids or or when they get to their 20s or after they get married so to have to process that at such a young age is is a lot to to bear like emotionally and spiritually oh yeah absolutely and I, i mean i think i had somewhat of an advantage because since i had already been thinking a lot about um vocation i had a spiritual director at the time And he was actually really helpful and kind of helping me just, okay, take a step back and try to process this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, I think I always, even though, even though there was a lot of questions and a lot of hurts, um, I don't think I ever really like got to a point where I was maybe blaming God for it. It was more just kind of, okay, it happened. God allowed it. There's got to be some reason for this. Right. Um, and you know, and, and I used to wonder a lot and I'm one of those people that thinks about, like, I used to daydream about future stuff yeah. a lot anyways. And I would think, okay, 
you know, I don't know what he's going to do, but it's got to be great, right. <laughs> you know. Right. Um, and, yeah, it was hard. There was a lot of moments of, you know, just wondering who I am. You know, am I really a woman if I don't have this? I mean, think about it. In our culture, mm-hmm. we talk about, um, you know, girls getting their first period as becoming a woman. Right. So, yeah, we use that phrase all the time in polite society. And right. when you think about it, what is that? And you're like, well, wait, did I not become a woman? Right, right. Um, <laughs> right. Like it, yeah, you're left yeah. Like, questioning what it means to be a woman or like even like your femininity as well, too. Oh, absolutely. I remember being in... It was in, I was in high school, right? Because I found out actually it was the week before my, or two weeks before my senior year of high school began mm-hmm. that I found out. Um, and I remember being in gym class senior year and being with all the other girls in the locker room, getting ready, I don't know, before or after. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, standing in that, the girls' locker room, surrounded by my female classmates, thinking, do I belong here? Oh, Am I one of them? Right, right. Yeah, that was that memory is just burned in my head, um, and it was it was really serious. I was wondering, like, am I some kind of weird, unusual creation? Am I mm. some and and actually, and it was reinforced going to the doctors too, because pretty much every doctor I ever visited, and it began then with that, but to the present day, almost every doctor's office, you know, it, they've never encountered this before, right. so. I always have to explain it to the nurse who's asking, oh. you know, he's checking my vitals and saying, when was your last period? Oh, okay. um, <laughs> and then, you know, then I was like, oh, I don't get one. What? Oh, yeah. And then it becomes a long conversation. Oh. Um, and sometimes, yeah, and sometimes I don't want to do that. Sometimes right. I don't want to be, you know, their science teacher. Right. Um, right. So, Especially in like a medical yeah. profession where it's like, oh, this is your job. Like, oh, yeah. here I am explaining yeah, medical fact, things. Yeah, only recently, in fact, in I think the 2016, maybe the medical codes got redone or something and they just added this in. Wow. Um, yeah. So before 2016, I think it was, it, there wasn't even a code for it. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. But yeah, I just, I felt, I spent a lot of these years thinking, you know, well, maybe, maybe I am, maybe I'm not a woman. Maybe I am. Maybe I'm not. What am I? Right. You know, am I something unique and different? And is this a bad thing or a good thing? And, you know, why, where do I fit in? How do I, like, I remember being in college and I went to Catholic university and there's a lot of Catholics at Catholic university. <laughs> and one of the things in Catholic university culture, um, one of the beautiful things really is like, you know, a lot of Catholic schools have groups of students that maybe come together and try to talk to other students about things like chastity or, you know, JP2's right. theology of the body. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember hearing snippets and phrases from things about theology of the body that you know, talking about femininity that would make me feel hurt inside. I would feel like this burning sensation in my face thinking like, well, how does this apply to me? Well, maybe it's not right because, right. you know, not all women are like that. And in fact, I remember reading, try, I tried so hard to make sense of this and I'm definitely for anybody who's a Harry Potter fan, I am definitely a Ravenclaw. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, like, I collect books. I majored in history. I just, I like learning. Um, yes. So, yes. <laughs> yeah. 
So, so being the good old Ravenclaw that I am, trying to research, um, at the time when I found out it was it was 2004, there wasn't much on Google, mm-hmm. um, and I found in the bookstore. I found because they had those back then. <laughs> there was it wasn't all book, Amazon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But there was um, there's a theologian, Alice von Hildebrand, and mm-hmm. she wrote a book called The Privilege of Being a Woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and I saw this book as a you know, senior in high school. And it's very small. It's short and little and more like an extended essay than a book. Right. Um, and I picked it up and bought it because I thought, well, I'm trying to figure out what it means to be a woman. So let me read this. Maybe it'll be helpful. Right. Well. I get to her, I think it was chapter eight, uh-huh. maybe the first page of it or second page of it. And there's a phrase in there that says, it just begins like this, every woman has a womb. And then she goes on to say, and this is special because, you know, I don't know something about the Virgin Mary having a womb and our right. Savior beginning his life in a womb. But right. the fact she starts this oh. sentence, every woman has a womb. And right away, my eyes fill up with tears oh. and I literally threw the book against the wall right i mean totally understandable i would have done yeah oh that it's just like stabs you in the heart gosh dang it like you're a woman that's not your experience yes and and i remember crying and crying to my mom at the time and um and telling her mom i just i wish that there was some book that would explain this to me that would tell me who i am and what i am and what i'm supposed to do and how i'm supposed to live right and and how i'm supposed to process this and then she just looked at me and she actually, she calls me Connie Ann. My middle name is Ann. So oh. she said, well, Connie Ann, maybe you're the one who's supposed to write that book. <laughs> Thanks, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> Not what I yeah. wanted to hear. Dang it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I'd be like, okay, that's not, not exactly helpful right now, right. but I mean, I guess, you know, okay, I like writing. Maybe I'll do that someday. <laughs> Maybe down the line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so that kind of, you know, I kind of started uh, later on, my blog kind of became that mm-hmm. um, in a way, just kind of, um, I know that there are some people who have dealt with this thing and who are you know, maybe going through some of those stages that I went through before that are reading my story and, right. um, you know, and so now they kind of have a book. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but... Or yeah, at least someone who's talking about it and who like knows their experience. Yeah. And just knowing that they're not alone or that they're, yeah. they're not the only ones going through yeah. that. And the other part too is like, where do you fit in in the Catholic world too? Right. Because, um, you know, we have such, we have this beautiful culture of, you know, marriage and life and children and you know just trying to figure out well how do i how do i fit in here where do i belong mm-hmm. um i think it's it's a really challenging thing yeah yeah especially like yeah like in a catholic world like we, we were able to talk on the phone before this interview and i remember just chatting about like parish life what does parish life look like for a couple who's experiencing infertility whether it's permanent or temporary or like you don't know how long you're going to be experiencing infertility for some people who may be listening so much of it centers around well when you have kids they join the parish school and you hang out with other parents and you chat about parent things and it's so good what if you don't have kids what if you're the married couple who's been you know been married for two years five years ten years and and there's no children and it's not because you don't want kids it's because you're open to it and and the lord he that's not where he's calling you to and like where do you fit in and and it feels so alone especially i think in in a parish setting sometimes too and so yeah it's a it's a struggle dang it no absolutely mm-hmm. absolutely and it's it, it actually even you know it kind of it, it's hard you feel invisible um i think you know it, 
one of the things about dealing with this myself, it's made me more aware. A lot of, um, I have some friends who are struggling with, with being single. They don't, you know, they want to get married. It just hasn't worked out. They haven't found the right person. And, um, and they found my blog and they've been like, you know, wow, like I, you know, it's not the same exact situation, but it's, it's this similar feeling of, well, do I even belong here? Like, right. Does the church see me? Right. There's so many prayers, you know, directed towards people who are married with kids. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so if you are married without kids or an adult who's not married right. um, and is also not in the seminary, exactly. you know, there's, exactly. <laughs> there's a, a struggle there. Of where do I fit in? Right, right. Yeah. yeah. I think one of the struggles it brings into is that, you know, we, because of our emphasis um, and so much visibility towards parents and children, mm-hmm. um, it can create an impression of feeling like you need this in order right. to be Catholic, right. like you're not a good Catholic without it, mm-hmm. and that therefore maybe any means necessary is okay to get to that goal right. of looking like the perfect Catholic family. Yep. Yep. Um, <laughs> but we so know that, that that's not true. I mean, ca- official Catholic Church teaching does not say that at all. Right. You know, um, right. yeah, in fact, just the opposite. I mean, we teach that children are a gift, not mm-hmm. a right. And because of that, you know, there are certain treatments that are okay. And there's other treatments that are not okay because, right. you know, because they begin to treat children as a right and not a gift. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I remember reading uh, an article by Haley Stewart from Carrots for Michael Mess. She's a Catholic blogger and she had this really good oh, article. I love her. Oh my gosh. She's one of my favorites. She's so good. <laughs> um, she had this beautiful article that came out not too long ago that was like, here's what you don't need to, to do to be a Catholic woman. Yes, and it's like, I read that one. Oh my gosh. It's so good. It'll be in the show notes because it's so fantastic. And I've read it so many times. It's like, you don't have to have, you know, a ton of kids and a pew full of children. Not that that's bad, but that's may not be what you're called to. And you don't have to have that to be Catholic. And all these things were, you know, you you think of like in your mind, okay, the perfect Catholic family, the perfect Catholic marriage, like it has all these things. Like, no, like that's not true. We're not we're not doing anyone's family justice by trying to put people into this cookie cutter mold of like this is what you have to look like if you're a Catholic family. And yeah, yeah. And I'm I'm super guilty of it too, like especially on like family size, which I've become so much more aware of once we've, you know, been trying to start our own family here on earth or been open to it. The phrase you know, a good big Catholic family. Like, oh, I'm so guilty yeah. of this phrase too. I come from a family of eight. I'm the oldest of a family of eight. And so people use that phrase around me quite a bit where it's like, oh, I, you know, I'm the oldest of eight. Like, oh, a good big Catholic family. Like, wink, wink. And it's like, oh, you've pointed this out in a blog post so beautifully. It's the first thing I've ever seen someone write on this. That does no one justice. That does not do a big family justice because it's the assumption that because they're big, they are good or they are holy automatically and they're not having to strive for holiness. And it does like small families, no good either. Like families who started, I mean, we start a family on our wedding day, you know, you're a family of two and it grows from there. But when we just have this like, Oh, good, big Catholic family, it gets so polarizing and it puts people into such boxes that aren't fair, like to do it all. So yeah, I loved the fact that you write about that because I think it's something that we don't write about or don't think about or don't talk about on a regular basis. Yeah. And and actually let's like, you know, what, who's the ultimate, family like we talk about the holy family and the holy yes. family had exactly one child one one little right <laughs> right <laughs> and and joseph was not the biological father of that right child. right and yeah and two <laughs> like if a good big catholic family is the ultimate goal and like the ultimate thing like if there was any if there was any mother who could totally have handled more than one child it was so mama mary like 
oh, yeah. perfect, no sin. Like she would never lose her temper. She's like super chill, has it all together, like in a beautiful feminine way. <laughs> she could do it. Gosh dang it. She's like the mother of the year in like such a beautiful way. But she's called to one and she's called to, you know, a marriage that doesn't look like what we think of marriage when we look at Joseph and Mary's marriage. And it's such a beautiful example of what marriage is. And like you said, like we put that on like, this is a the holy family. Like it's in the title of itself where we look to them as, as for guidance. And yeah. And it was so beautiful. And like, you can learn so much from them. Yeah, absolutely. And like, look at that marriage in particular. I mean, the two of them together did not, you know, produce another human being. Right. Like the two of them together did not. So, you know, what does that say about marriage? Like they still had a good marriage. It doesn't mean if that doesn't happen, it doesn't mean that your marriage is any less valuable. Oh, so good. So, so good. Yes. Whoa, we need to talk about this so much more than we, than we do. Dang it. (laughs) Absolutely. Okay, so we're talking about families and different family sizes and different ways that families look. One of the different approaches to to families and having littles is through adoption. And Mm -hmm. when people hear that you experience infertility, I know this from Joseph and I's story, but also from... um, from reading your blog as well, like adoptions often mentioned. Um, I posted the Jose Maria Escriva quote from that podcast. And like one of the most, um, the replies that I got the most was like, yeah, but adoption. Um, and although it's really, it's not a fix to infertility and not everybody is called to adopt. Um, it's a beautiful thing to discern if you have a calling to it, but can you talk about how you and your husband discerned adoption, what that process looked like for you? Um, in your marriage and, and in your family? Sure, absolutely. Well, let me preface it by saying it's it's an ongoing process. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I have no idea how long it will be an ongoing process for, but um, let me if I give you the backstory a little bit, it might clear all of that up. Sure. Um, so we actually, we, when we were engaged, you know, we already knew that we weren't going to be able to have children. Um, and actually from before we were engaged, we knew, so we would talk about this and we thought, Oh yeah, sure. When we're ready, we'll adopt a few, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh, you know, as if it was as easy as talking about, you know, where we're going to go on vacation. Um, (laughs) (laughs) just kind of, it was assumed. Right. Um, we, you know, we were as guilty as those who have assumed it of other people, you know, thinking, Mm -hmm. Oh, infertility means adoption. We thought the same thing. Um, and then marriage happened mm-hmm. and and right on our little timeline about two years in we were like you know we'd like to be parents right. and we started thinking about it and we were like you know let's do it mm-hmm. you know we had read blogs that people did we had friends who had done it um mm-hmm. so we got ourselves into it we found we visited a couple of agencies um started doing a home study with one, and this was all domestic infant adoption. It's mm-hmm. one thing you learn. There's many different types of adoption. So um, one of the more common ones in the United States is just it's called domestic infant adoption. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, adopting a baby from somewhere in the U.S. Right. Um, right. And so we started going through this process, and we did all the background checks and had to write essays about ourselves and all kinds mm-hmm. of things that uh, hoops that adoptive parents jump through. Um, and then a couple of things started happening all at once. Um, I actually, I got let go from a job that I was in. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I found a new one. <laughs> it all worked out. But right. in the middle of all this, you know, it was making us think. And there were other things going on too. And we started researching more and learning more about what exactly we're getting into. Mm-hmm. And then we had to fill out a form, you know, we had to pick which agency we would used for the placement agency that where, where we would look for, you know, uh, a child. Mm-hmm. And we started processing all these things and all these questions. And, and I started to feel 
like something wasn't right. And I, I felt like a pit in my stomach. And it got to the point where my husband, James, was doing all of the work. He was the one who was, you know, pushing forward with the next, mm-hmm. let's fill up the next form. Yep. You know, he was the one who had the fire department, um, you know, inspect the house. <laughs> he was right. the one who was, you know, arranging everything. And I was just kind of starting to check out. Mm-hmm. And uh, and he was doing it too. We were talking, you know, he was doing it because he thought I wanted it. And, right. um <laughs> and, and I was mentally checking out oh. and uh, yeah, so I think, and so then became like, okay, what's going on? So I started trying to really figure out, you know, what should we do? Do we keep going? Do we not keep going? Mm-hmm. And that's actually, this was fall of 2015 mm-hmm. and I started going to daily mass. I started going to weekly confession. Mm-hmm. I started praying uh, from November 30th. I began the St. Andrew's Christmas novena. Um, And I know, (laughs) I don't know if you're familiar with that one. I did. I prayed it this Um, year. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah, it's beautiful. And it's actually, it's it's very popular among the infertility blogosphere too. Mm -hmm. So I think it's gotten around a lot in recent years. But yeah, you pray this prayer beginning on the Feast of St. Andrew, which is November 30th. And you pray it 15 times a day, every day from November 30th until Christmas. Yeah. Um, so it is intense. <laughs> and so I took this on and I did all this discerning and then all of a sudden I found myself, um, you know, oh, and we visited a priest a couple of times to talk about it. And those visits didn't seem to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. I wasn't, not much was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had a interesting dream one night after we visited this one priest. Mm-hmm. I, I had a really vivid dream about a little girl, maybe like five, six years old, who had like kind of light brown hair and a ponytail. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't see her face. It was just from the back. Mm-hmm. And I woke up thinking to myself, you know, I don't know who she is. You know, I don't know if this is a, a, a foster child maybe right. that we should take care of or, or if this is our future kid or if this is someone else's child that, you know, we're meant to be part of their life. Right. Um, I had no idea, but I, but it was so vivid. And I thought to myself, you know, I don't know if I want to adopt a baby right now. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And then it came to the point where Christmas, the novena had ended. <laughs> it was Christmas day. <laughs> we had just been a whole big day full of everything, all mm-hmm. kinds of parties and food and everything. Yep. And we come home and we're exhausted. And right away, like well, as soon as we got home, probably from the exhaustion and everything else, I kind of had a little bit of a breakdown and I just kind of, I I screamed. I said, I don't want to adopt. I want to be pregnant. Mm -hmm. And that is the craziest thing to say for someone in my situation, but it's how I felt right then. So we, we stopped the adoption process. Mm -hmm. Um, Social worker called us a few times in January, but we just kind of said, you know, I I don't know. I don't think we can do this right now. Um, So then I, you know, I poured myself into all the other aspects of my life, yep. you know, a career and, um, you know, eating better, mm-hmm. <laughs> everything is trying to just improve my life in every other way, you know, right. um, and it worked out great. I wound up with a job I loved mm-hmm. um, and I gained a lot of great skills. I made some new friends. Mm-hmm. Um, I read a lot of great books and things. And that's also, you know, things between <laughs> between me and God started getting a lot better too. Mm -hmm. I really picked up steam there. Um, And that was great. And then now we're at the point where, you know, we recognize that there is really, there is a difference between um, the pain of infertility, Mm -hmm. 
specifically and the pain of childlessness specifically. Um, They're they're two different things. And, you know, because a lot of friends have told me who have maybe suffered with infertility, but then either they, you know, have a miraculous pregnancy Mm -hmm. or they adopt and they will say like, you know, I am so grateful for my child. I love my child so much, but there's still that infertility pain. Right. Um, And so those are things that you kind of need to deal with separately. So now here we are um, spring of 2018 and we were kind of, we're in an interesting place. You know, life is good. Mm-hmm. We're happy. Um, at the moment, we don't feel this call to adopt. Um, but I don't want to say it'll never happen. Right. And I feel, right. yeah. And I feel like, you know, maybe it could be, it could be sooner than I realized. Mm-hmm. You know? yep. <laughs> God works in his own time. He does. Um, it could, it could be never, you know, right. um, but I have this sense now I have this peace and I have this sense that, you know what, God's got this. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus has a plan, and if He wants us to be parents, then He's going to make it happen somehow. Right. Right. And um, and if not, then He has something else for us. And what I've noticed too is that I've been able to be um, kind of like a, a helpful adult female figure for a lot of children in our life now, mm. um, and that's been really great. Um, <laughs> you know, I think being able to be there for um, some of our friends, kids, and, um, you know, children of family members has really been a blessing. And it's not the same, you know, it it doesn't change the fact that we deal with infertility, but it has been just wonderful being a part of these kids' lives. Oh, that's so good. I love what, yeah, I love what you're saying about how, yeah, like there's so much trust that goes into this journey. We, We just, you know, celebrated Divine Mercy Sunday and and the beauty of divine mercy and the beauty of the fact that like there's so much trust that goes into our relationship with the Lord and how much infertility like offers us that constant opportunity like do you trust me do you love me do you trust me and how much yes it's so easy to say like no lord like you're not giving me what i want or like no lord like this is not my plan like this is not how i saw my life going down and how beautiful it is to be able to to open your heart back up to to trust and it's so hard like it's so much harder than i thought it would be um but yeah there's so much there can be so much comfort in that as well yeah, absolutely. And that is one of the things, one of the beautiful things that can come out of struggling with infertility, mm-hmm. um, whether it's temporary or permanent. I think one of the beautiful things that can come is that God can really use this to really teach you how to trust. It's so true. So if a woman is tuning in and listening and infertility is part of her experience as a woman as well, what would you most want her to know or to journey alongside with her? Wow, that's such a good question. I think the first thing I would want her to know is that that she's not alone. Mm-hmm. You know, first of all, like, you know, statistically speaking, you know, they say one in six or one in eight right. couples has trouble, um, has difficulty conceiving, but not even just that. Like she's, she's not alone because I really think, and you can see this in the gospels, I think, but, you know, or the Psalms that say, you know, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. Mm-hmm. I think, um, God really draws near to women dealing with this. Like when you're in the middle of it, um, in the worst moments, I think your, your suffering, your pain, um, I think if anything, like it really, uh, he's got such a heart for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and yeah. you know, and it, it's just, if you just, you know, just ask him to help you to trust him and, and, you know, 
bring you closer to him during this. It, it's it's going to be amazing. And I think one thing, too, that a priest told me once, you know, because I was dealing with all this, like, you know, well, does God even care? And he told me, he said, you know what? As much as you've cried over this, mm-hmm. God cried more. Yeah. Because, you know, he didn't, he doesn't want, like, he doesn't, he doesn't want you to experience this. It's right. more like, you know, there's, there's evil in the world that came about as a result of the fall. Yep. And there's hurricanes and tornadoes and diseases and all these awful things in the world now right. because, you know, because of sin, not necessarily one particular sin, but just, you know, evil in general. Yep. And infertility is one of those natural evils. Mm-hmm. You didn't do anything to cause it. It's just, just like any other medical issue or disease. If he loves babies, he wants you to be happy, but mm-hmm. he also knows if he's allowing you to go through this, you know, he has a plan. He does have a plan. He's with you. Um, and, you know, maybe you won't be able to see what that is for a while. Mm-hmm. Maybe not this side of heaven, right? <laughs> but, right. but he does have a plan and he does care. And I think one of the things I, as I was thinking about this topic before we began talking tonight, mm-hmm. um, one of the things that really struck me too, um, was um, the story in the Gospels about the woman who was suffering from, she was hemorrhaging for 12 years. Yeah. And this woman, so if you think about it, you know, like, what is it about? This woman's having some sort of, like, continuous menstrual issue for Mm -hmm. 12 years, and she spent all of her money Mm -hmm. (laughs) and all of her energy. Um, And in that society, you know, she would have been an outcast or felt, like, unwelcome or, like, she didn't belong. Right. Um, and and what and, and in particular in the society of the day, you know, women who were uh, like going through that were considered unclean. Yep. Right. Right. Yeah. For 12 so years, she was she was oh considered unclean for twelve years. Right. Um, and having those problems, you know, she didn't have a baby in those twelve years. Right. Right. You know? Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so she's, you know, and she and she's been at you know at the mercy of all of these doctors, which mm-hmm. so many of us have dealt with and and look what she does like she comes to him she just shows a little ounce of faith you know goes to touch the hem of his robe and he finds her and turns to her and do you know what he says he calls her daughter and that is just so powerful to me that you know of all the women in the bible (laughs) of all the women that jesus encounters of all the people who come to him with problems and everything this is the one, this woman who's dealing with this particular issue and this time and this, these feelings, that's the one that he looks at and calls daughter. That's so beautiful. Yeah. And I think just that's, that's what anyone who's dealing with any type of these issues or these feelings of being alone or outcast or unbelonging or just any type of, you know, infertility or these sorts of issues is that you are his daughter. Um, (laughs) It's something that took me a long time to learn. Myself, Um, you know, I went through my own identity struggle with this. Mm -hmm. And finally, I was at the bottom, uh, the absolute bottom. And I had decided, that's it. I'm sick of trying to figure out who I am. I'm going to ask him who I am. So I went to confession and I said to the priest, look, I've been trying for years to figure out who I am Mm -hmm. or what I am or who I am. And I'm I'm done with it. I give up. I surrender. I, I don't know what to say. And he right away he doesn't let me talk anymore and he says you are his daughter oh my gosh thank you jesus <laughs> oh, yeah. wow yeah and from that moment on that's kind of what 
you know, my whole, what I, my whole spirituality since then has been on that, you know, just trying to remember like, right. Jesus looks at you as his daughter. Just remembering that is kind of the best thing ever. Yeah, seriously, <laughs> especially like you're saying, like in a world where it's so easy to put our identity in, in our experience with infertility or identity into our, our marriage or identity into motherhood or, or hoped for motherhood or prayed for motherhood and at, and at the core and at the base of who we are as women, it's his daughter. And that, yeah, that's so good. Yeah. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. For people who are listening, who infertility isn't part of their own experience, but like you said, there's, you know, statistically, there's a, a decent chance that they know someone who's close to them or in their work office or will come up in conversation who is experiencing infertility. So when they're experiencing those relationships and interacting with women or interacting with couples whose life experience includes infertility, how, how can they come alongside them to support them? Is there anything like based on your experience with infertility that's, that's helpful to hear? And, and two, like on the flip side of that coin, are there things that like that hurt, like even though they're well intentioned, that that aren't really good to say in some ways? Sure, absolutely. It's such an important question. I think um, the one thing that you can do with this, and really kind of applies to anything that anybody's going through, is mm-hmm. to just you know, listen and just be you know, show empathy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, even if you can't relate, to recognize that this is a person who is definitely going through some suffering in their life. So listen first and foremost um you know just just you know acknowledge their pain that's kind of the most important thing um and and on the flip side don't dismiss it um you know and the same goes for anybody in any type of cross or suffering and maybe you can't understand it but um but we are called to be there and to show compassion for people. And I think actually this is really cool in Pope Francis's latest apostolic exhortation. Yeah. Um, exalt, rejoice and be glad. Mm-hmm. He talks about this beatitude of, you know, blessed are they who mourn, right. but the way he takes it and the way he goes into it, he says, blessed are those who can mourn with others. Yep. Yep. Um, and so that is holiness. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. so, yeah. So specifically, you know, with women or men, even in your life, who are dealing with this, if you know them, either, you know, friends, relatives, coworkers, mourn with them, right. you know, acknowledge, acknowledge it. Um, I think that's the best thing. You know, I have, um, <laughs> some of my, um, closest friends mm-hmm. are those who, you know, they don't have this themselves, mm-hmm. you know, they have children or they're pregnant or whatever, but they are the people who can, you know, who know how to mourn with others, who know how to be sympathetic, um, you know, have a friend who, you know, one day you can be talking about her pregnancy and the next day you could be talking about your infertility. It doesn't right. matter either way <laughs> which one you're talking about, but both of you are being, um, you know, good friends to the other one. Right. Right. Um, and I think, yeah. And just being also being aware, like when you, if you have, the, if you happen to have the one blessing that they, that the other person really wants, like say, you know, your best friend is single and you're, you just got engaged or, um, you know, or the same thing, you know, you're, you're going to have a baby and your best friend has been trying for a couple of years and has, you know, just been through hell and back trying and hasn't had any luck. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just be careful how you break the news about those things is important too. Because, right. um, you know, they're your friend, you should be able to tell them. But at the same time, 
um, just recognizing knowledge is suffering. I think I've had all different manners of people break their knees to me, and some of them have been the ones that have been easier to handle for myself have been the ones that have shown some compassion. I think, mm-hmm. um, you know, I've had friends try everything <laughs> and, and it's been great. Like one friend sent me an email to tell me because, you know, she wasn't sure how else to tell me. And she just acknowledged in her email that, you know, she knows this is hard for me. And when I saw that, I was like, you know what? <laughs> I, I love you. You're awesome. You're my oh. friend. Let's talk. It's been a while. Right. <laughs> <You know>? Right. <laughs> Um, thank you for telling me, you know, um, and then, you know, I've had friends tell me in person one-on-one and say like, you know, sometimes maybe they're afraid. They say, you know, I know this might be hard for you because I know your struggles. I know what you've been through, but I have news. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. Um, and when I've heard those ones, what usually has happened, because that's happened more than once with me. And I think I've been like, you know what? Thank you. And I'm sorry that you went, you felt so stressed about telling me. Right, <laughs> you know? right. You know? But but thank you also for, you know, acknowledging me and congratulations. You know? Yeah, yeah. All, um, the, all the emotions. Yeah. <laughs> and I think I think the worst part is like the worst way to tell one of your infertile friends that you're expecting or whatever is to um to not acknowledge it. Right. At all. Right. Um to, you know, jump up and down um and you know not not acknowledge what they've been through i think um just yeah just showing a little bit of understanding in the midst of your joy and also like you asked also about how other things you know to say or to not say and i think one thing that um most people that i know that have dealt with infertility really also would appreciate um not hearing is um uninvited suggestions. Yes. So if, yes. if your if your infertile friend is asking you for help, by all means help. Right. Um, if, if she not. wants to know the name of your your um, best friend's second cousin's brother's wife's doctor, then by all means tell her. Um, but, but in general, um, if a woman opens up to you about this, it's because she just needs to talk to somebody. Right. You know, she just needs somebody to listen. Um, Chances are, if she is opening up, she's probably been there, tried that, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> all those things. And um, especially, like, the some of the worst, couple of worst things to hear is, um, you know, just relax, it'll happen. Right. Yeah. Um, because, well, infertility is an actual medical issue. Right. So, you know, we all know the story of somebody's cousins, aunts, you know, ex-whatever, who, <laughs> <laughs> who relaxed, adopted, and then got pregnant. Right. Um, but that actually statistically has a very low it's chance of happening. Yep. Um, the stories stick in our minds because they're so exciting, but exactly. it, it doesn't happen that much. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So infertility is a real medical issue. So just understanding that and treating it as such. Um, it's just like, you know, if your friend's dealing with any other sickness or disease, right. you know, you wouldn't say, oh, just relax. It'll go away. Right. It doesn't work for that either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, you need a doctor, you right. need treatments, but it's not fun and it's not going to go away by relaxing. It's, right. It's just, right. This is not a cold where you need to go to sleep and, you know, yeah. drink wake, orange juice. <laughs> wake up and have some chicken noodle soup and you'll be okay. It turns out. No. Yeah. 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 And even more so than the physical, it's it's an emotional toll. Right. And they didn't study, I forget where it was, um, 
But there was a study that showed that the stress levels Mm -hmm. of infertility patients Mm -hmm. were equal to the stress levels of cancer patients. When you're infertile, like everyone and their dog seems like they're pregnant. Like it is a constant reminder that I'm not pregnant right now. I experience infertility, whether it's temporary or whether it's permanent, and it's not something that I can just not be stressed about or not or exactly. you know, wish away. Yeah, it, there's yeah, especially I think for two for women because I think there's definitely a masculinity and a femininity in different ways of approaching this as a married couple or as a couple experiencing infertility. But for women, when it's such a heart issue and it's such a soul issue and it's a, a desire for to just yeah to feel feminine and you're constantly told that well women bring life into the world that's what women do that's the beauty of womanhood and and if that's not your experience yeah oh there's so many levels but yeah 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 absolutely and you know and and even like as a woman we get invited to these women only baby showers and bridal showers and stuff (laughs) and and you get to these places and you can feel really alone because right it seems like literally every other woman in the room is experiencing mm-hmm. something that you don't get to. Right. Um, so right. there's this exclusive club that 50% of the human population belongs to, except for you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's so dang true. That's exactly but, what it feels um, like. But yeah, no, it, that's not true. That is definitely like you are a woman. Right. Um, right. You know, and you know what? And honestly, like, I don't want to, I mean, in a way you could almost feel sorry for those who don't recognize that because some people, mm-hmm. well, let me put it this way. Women who deal with some type of infertility have an opportunity to experience the richness of what it means to be a woman on a deeper level than those who maybe have never had to think about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like the things that I've had to think about, um, (laughs) the things that other women with infertility have had to think about, you know, having to actually think, dig deeper. Okay. There's more to being a woman than having a baby. What is it? Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 It's an opportunity. Like you said, yeah, it's a chance to dig deeper. Yep. Yep. It's so yeah. true. It's so true. And it's a chance. And for me too, it's been a chance to think about what is marriage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, cause even like in the Catholic church in canon law, um, it specifically states sterility is not an impediment to marriage. And this is why, you know, the church will marry couples that they know will not have biological children. You know, people who are past childbearing age right. can still get married in the Catholic church. Um, exactly. because, because even though this is, you know, the church, you know, affirms that this is an important part of marriage, it's not the only part of marriage. Right. Exactly. Um, but also, uh, one more thing to mention with the things not to say to people yeah. is telling people to adopt. Mm-hmm. Um, because mm-hmm. chances are they may have thought about it and, right. and honestly, ad- adoption is its own calling. It comes from God. And yep. if God is calling you to it, he will put it on your heart. And if he's not, you shouldn't force it. <laughs> there's, yep. there's, you know, he has a plan. Yeah. Um, and I think also, too, speaking of the richness of what it means to be a woman mm-hmm. in marriage, um, there is a, there's kind of a richness to the depths of the thoughts and suffering within infertility. And, you know, you see these articles sometimes where people say, oh, you know, infertility was worth it because I got these beautiful children through adoption that's true. Right. You know, it is true that they, you know, how wonderful that they have the family this way, but the way they phrased it, there's more that even more that, and deeper things that you can get out of this experience. Um, you know, it's not, and, and, and actually like infertility, maybe for some people, mm-hmm. God can use it in a way to get them to have the family they wouldn't have otherwise, right. but it's not true for everyone. Right. Exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah, and sometimes he's using it for other things. Sometimes he's using it to teach you how to trust him. Right. Sometimes he'll use it to bring you closer to him. He's using it to make us saints. Right, right. <laughs> it's the path to holiness. It's like a cross that he's carved out, like with your name on yes. it, because he knows exactly how to like draw you closer to him, and he wants your heart. Yes. yes. Right. Yeah, I think like another aspect of adoption too is that like even if a couple does adopt, like that doesn't fix infertility. Like, Correct. you know, a child can come to their house through, come into their home through adoption, but that doesn't necessarily change the fact that they can't have kids biologically. And that still hurts, like, regardless of whether the fact that there is a baby sleeping in the room next door, like, there's still that ache. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and there's so many things that, you know, if you put your trust in God and you let him kind of show, let him guide you in mm-hmm. this whole process, mm-hmm. you wouldn't believe what he opened you up to. Yeah. Um, the, the people that you can meet. Um, the places you'll go, yes. <laughs> really, you know, like, well, for example, if I hadn't been blogging about this, I wouldn't have met you, Chloe. Right, right. Yeah. Our paths may have never yes. crossed. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and other things too, that he puts on your heart. Like one thing lately for me, and this is only recent the last couple of months, I've really thought about this, but you know, one of the sad things I think for, I, I know I'm not the only Catholic woman who's thought this, but mm-hmm. one of the sad things is like, darn it, you know what? We, we kind of get like Hannah in the Bible yes. and we're like, Jesus, if you gave me a son, I would give him to you and he would be a priest. Yep. Yep. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, yep. and you know, we know that happens with the Bible basically, not, right. you know, Hannah, um, offers your child up and, you know, sends them to the temple. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. I think what one thing that's happened with me, because I have had, you know, I've had those thoughts and those desires too, is that lately it's changing to a way where I find myself praying for priests a lot more mm-hmm. um, and kind of wanting to be kind of more of a, at least, you know, this whole idea of spiritual motherhood, which the words themselves I used to really not like because it would sound like a consolation prize, but right. it's, it's different <laughs> for me now. I think, um, you know, I pray specifically, you know, for our parish priests and for other mm-hmm. priests that we know and seminarians that we know um, and ones we don't know. And because right. I, you know, I've heard these beautiful stories about, um, I forget, I think it was a saint or someone, but there was some story I read about a cardinal who had had um, kind of a vision and prayer of this woman who's who wasn't married mm-hmm. or never had children, but who had, through her prayers and her own sacrifices is what had made him, uh, what, you know, God had used that um, and the grace there to make him a priest. Um, and I think, wow, okay, God, right. please make some priests out of it. <laughs> That's beautiful. I love it. I love it. (laughs) Oh, and it's so practical too. And it's something that's so like fruitful. Your love is fruitful. Like, and we can so often like dismiss prayer, like, oh, prayer. It's like the last, I mean, it's the only thing I can do. Oh, prayer. Like, oh my gosh, prayer is so powerful. And yeah. Yeah. And also, yes. And and, like the spiritual adoption, there's also like, you know, there are people in your life who maybe need a little bit of you know, they need your, they need your help and your advice. They need you to kind of care for them. I know when I was in high school, there was a couple who didn't have any children of their own mm-hmm. at the time. Mm-hmm. And they kind of became my second parents. Yep. And yep. I, I wound up, you know, I, I used to talk to them all the time when I had an issue or something, you know, mm-hmm. as a teenager and mm-hmm. uh, maybe something I wouldn't be comfortable talking to my own mother about at right. that age, <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, but they right. became like that for me. And, and, you know, I can see my husband and I, you know, we can be like that for some people too. Right. Right. Yeah. It's a beautiful, yeah. There's so much beauty that 
that if you like you said like if you're open to the lord's call and you're willing to trust him like he can give so much even in times yeah. where where it's hard yeah oh that's so beautiful Connie. this is the last question that i usually ask people and you've answered this kind of impartially way through talking about this last question and praying for priests and the beauty that your you and your and your husband's marriage can be but um how do you live out the feminine genius in your ordinary life as a woman who experiences infertility that's such a good question i think really infertility has given me the opportunity to see how how feminine that i truly am Mm -hmm. in a way that is just so Mm all-encompassing i think you know i know that i've learned truly that being a woman is way more than the physical we we know as Catholics that you know your soul is female right. you know, if you're a woman. Right. Um, God made our souls male and female, and I think that is so important. And and I've seen that in my daily work and in my interactions with people. That you know some of the way that I'll handle um, different things that are presented to me are in a very kind of feminine, nurturing way. Mm-hmm. I, I find this you know in like in the office. Right. When people right. have an issue or, or something, I, you know, you have to have opportunity to be almost motherly mm-hmm. voice, like nurturing um, thing. And I, I see truly that like God doesn't just use, I've noticed this lately, you know, we say, you know, God uses us or whatever. And I say, mm-hmm. God doesn't just use your talents. He does, but not just your talents or right. just your skills or just right. your abilities. He uses you, mm-hmm. your personality, your everything. I, I saw this, I've seen this when, you know, when I've been in a meeting at work and, um, or in one of my other, you know, previous jobs or volunteer opportunities where, um, I, I'm a very creative ideas person. So I'll start jumping up and down almost, you know, <laughs> trying to gather enthusiasm for this idea I just had and I'll see yeah. people start to get on board and everything. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you know, I've used this opportunity to inspire people for this you know new direction in the company or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'll notice, I'm like, okay, he just used me (laughs) my personality my my characteristics and he does that with each one of us it's not just you know he does and and, and you know what and for anyone who is a mother listening he doesn't you know it's not just he doesn't just use you know you as a like every mother knows this you're not just a physical vessel for a kid (laughs) you put your whole life into that and you know, it's true for women in other ways, too. It's not just, you know, not just in their um, childbearing, if it so happens to be. It's in all aspects of their life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've noticed that, and I think that's just been wonderful. And I think I, I really, because I'm a woman, it's given me this unique um, edge and perspective in the creative work that I do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that. I wouldn't change it for anything. So beautiful. Connie, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. Thank you too, like for at the root of it, like thank you for, for being vulnerable on, on your blog and just sharing your life with others and, and opening up your heart to conversation. And thanks for saying yes. Um, and just, just beautifully living out the feminine genius and your story is inspiring. Thanks for sharing it with it. I can't wait to share with listeners. This has been such a good conversation. Oh my goodness. Thank you, Chloe. I'm so happy to have had this opportunity. It's been really great talking with you and being able to get all this out there. It's been awesome. Thank you so much. 
Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast episode. I cannot say enough how visiting with Connie was such an incredible life-giving conversation. If you're a woman whose experience of life includes infertility, please know that you're not alone. Please know that you're his daughter. You can find all the resources that Connie and I mentioned over in the show notes at oldfashionedgirlblog.com. If you're looking for even more resources or simply you want to connect with other women who experience infertility as well, send me an email at chloe.langer, L-A-N-G-R, at gmail.com and let's chat. That's all I have for this week's episode. Until next time, be not afraid.